Let's just pray. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go, but that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, that the Holy Spirit has made a home in us. Lord, let the Holy Spirit just, uh, man, reveal all the things. Just guide us into the place where we could see what's been revealed in Jesus. Lord, just let the Holy Spirit just reveal uh, the heart of Jesus so that we could see into his faith and, and we could see life through his heart, Lord. Thank you, Father, that, that, that it's your will that we could see life through your eyes and that through seeing life through your eyes, we could find ourselves healed. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. God told me that a long time ago um, when I was arguing with him about throwing all my perfect theology in the garbage can. Because you spend a lot of years perfecting your theology. And you, you start to... Did you figure out the transportation problem back there? We need a, we need a smart engineer that could do this for us. Um, no, no, it's all good. You, you work so hard to, to perfect all your theology and all your biblical understanding, and you finally get to the place where you think it's good and you feel real proud about it, right? And you feel like you're in the place where you can start telling people about the beam in their eye. That's your first indication you're not understanding theology properly. But, but anyway, in that place, God, God come and told me this funny saying, lend me your eyes and I'll change what you see, right? And that began an unraveling of just the way I saw life because my whole idea of life was about how I'm going to see the right way to do things and then I'm going to work principles so I can bring about the good, right? I had no concept that if I could just see life a certain way, that the way I would discern things could produce life in me, right? And I later be became a, a, a fan of a band called Mumford & Sons. And one of the reasons why I love Mumford & Sons is because they have a lyric, lend me your eyes and I'll change what you see. And that was after God said that. So now I love Mumford and Sons, right? But um, I love looking into the heart of Jesus. Like, I love it. And you ought to let your Christianity be centered around that kind of a thought. That's one of the thoughts you want your Christianity to be centered around. And if you never heard it like that, just start asking God, I want to see into the heart of Jesus, right? Because we used to make those bracelets, what would Jesus do? Forget about that. What did Jesus believe? Because if you find the same thing he believes born in you, you'll find the same life coming out of you. So we try to do things the hard way. Any of you ever tried to do things the hard way? I'm the king of trying to do things the hard way. And I promise you, the hardest thing you could ever try to do is to try to do the life of God. Do you think you can be God? How many of you think you can create the whole universe? My goodness, I can't even keep this body from feeling sore every morning when I wake up. How am I going to be God? I mean, I was just telling Becky, my lower back is killing me right now. And I think it's because the way I was laying out in the sun when I was in Myrtle Beach, I think I was somehow leaning on that chair wrong. And now my back's killing me. Right. So I, I can't even get it right for this 47 year old body not to feel achy when I wake up in the morning. How do you think I'm going to get it right to produce God or the life of God? And so we say, what would Jesus do? That's like saying, what would God do? Now you go do what God would do. If we could do what God could do, we wouldn't need God. <laughs> we just wouldn't need God if we could do what God would do. So forget about what would God do. Forget about what would Jesus do. The question is, what does Jesus believe? How did Jesus view life? 
And so I love looking into the heart of Jesus. I love talking about the faith that's in his heart. There is so much beauty in seeing life through the heart of Jesus. There's so much beauty in seeing life through the heart of Jesus. And one of the main reasons why God poured out the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of the Son, into us, is so we could see into the heart of Jesus. Jesus even said, there's another one coming after me, right? That he will be like me, and he's going to guide you into whatsoever things are revealed in me. And do you know what was revealed in Jesus? The faith that was in his heart. We spend so much time looking at what Jesus did outwardly that we completely miss what was in his heart. And we don't spend any time thinking about what did this dude believe when he walked through the earth and talking with God about that. Lord, help me see into the heart of Jesus. Help me see into his faith. The grace that we all desire for our life. You know what grace is? Grace is the strength of God. You think you'd be okay if you have the strength of God? You think you'd be all right in this world if you were animated with God himself? the strength of God, the grace we all long for, the grace that we all desire for our lives, man, that grace is found in seeing life through the heart of Jesus. That's where it's found. We spend so much time examining so many things, doing so many things, finding so many things, looking for so many things, and we we completely neglect the one thing, which is to be able to see into the heart of Jesus because the strength of God is actually contained in the heart of Jesus. That's where it's found, right? Man, I wish somebody would have told me that when I was like three years old. Maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe 20, maybe 25. Maybe You see all the years that have gone by in my life without somebody just confronting me with that simple thing? What did Jesus believe? How about you start talking with God about what was in Jesus' heart? Because I promise you, the life you see coming out of Jesus None of us find fault with the life that came out of Jesus. In fact, all of us say that's a beautiful life. Well, out of the heart flow the issues of life. So if there's something beautiful about the life of Jesus, if there's something strong about the life of Jesus, if there's something about the life of Jesus that can endure all things, that can hope all things, that can believe all things, that can love in all things, do you know where it came from? It came from the faith that was in his heart. And so if we start inquiring with God about that, That would be the answer to everything. Ephesians chapter 2 comes and says that we are God's workmanship. And do you know what it says that he does? It says that he comes to form within us the life of Christ. And the way he forms within us the very life of Jesus is through the faith that came in Jesus, through the faith that was revealed in Jesus. That's how he formed his life in us. And so we ought to be coming together and talking about what did Jesus see? What did Jesus believe? In all sorts of different situations, but I promise you, one of the most powerful things to start talking with God about when you're thinking of what did Jesus believe is what did Jesus believe when he was being nailed to a cross? What was in his heart as he was being nailed to a cross? How did he perceive that? Because there was a grace that came alive in him to be able to endure that. There was even a love that came alive in him when that kind of a thing happened, where he didn't return evil for evil, where he actually gave good for evil. Where we start thinking about this kind of a thing, right? That's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus isn't, well, let's put a hologram of Jesus up on the the wall now. You can get holograms of people, right? You know, you can watch a Tupac concert from a hologram. And Tupac is up there getting down. And the real Snoop Dogg is there, right? 
because he hasn't passed away, but Tupac isn't around anymore, and they got a hologram of Tupac and Snoop performing songs together. That's crazy. So sitting at the feet of Jesus isn't about how I'm going to get a hologram right here and it's going to be Jesus and now I'm going to go sit over there. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is talking about what was the faith that was in his heart. And now let our conversation be around that and considering that and talking with God about that and unveiling that, right? That's what it means. That's why it says Jesus came full of grace and truth. The truth that was revealed in Jesus is full of grace. So what's the truth that was revealed in Jesus? What's the truth that was in his heart? Jesus even come and said, I am the truth that is the way unto life. How many of you in here want life? Everybody wants life. Okay, well, he told us there's a truth inside of him. There's a faith in his heart. There's a belief in his heart. There's a way that he saw life that will produce life in you. Right? How hard is that talking to him about that? What did you believe, man? What did you see? How did you see these things? Right? And so in light of, of all that and how God, we're his workmanship. That means he's taken it upon himself to produce his life in you. He hasn't told you to produce his life in you. He's taken it upon himself to produce his life in you. And his strength his grace to be able to do that is found in the faith that was in the Son of God's heart as he walked this earth. Right? So with that being said, I want to look at forgiveness and what kept Jesus from being offended with the people who were nailing him to a cross. <laughs> See how I scratch my head? That's because even when I say that out loud, I'm like, how are you not offended with people that are nailing you to a cross? Probably everybody in here are either actively feeling nailed to a cross by somebody or has recently felt like they were being nailed to a cross. And so what kept Jesus from being offended with the people that were crucifying him? I want to look at that. So the same faith that was in his heart, we can at least have it put on a wall and we can start looking at it. And maybe we'll agree with all of it the first time we hear it and see it. And we'll be set free. Maybe we'll agree with half of it. Maybe we'll agree with three quarters of it. Well, if you agree with all of it, well, glory to God, you'll be blessed in your deed because you'll find your heart being healed from all the harm people have committed against you. And you'll find all the trespasses people committed against you being sent away from you. And you know what? You'll find them being sent away from them also. And you'll find your life healed, right? But if you don't agree with it all, whatever part you disagree with, that's the part you start talking with God about. You see? That's the part you start getting into. That's what we call the nitty gritty, where the metal meets the road. Because I find that sometimes when we're in the, in the place where the metal meets the road, we don't want to hear it. Is that just me? <laughs> Man, sometimes when I'm in the, 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 the place in the nitty gritty, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. <laughs> and I have all the reasons why, you know. But that's what I want to do because, listen, the faith in his heart worked forgiveness in him. It worked forgiveness in him. It produced it in him. And you know what? It can serve us with the same life. I'm using those words on purpose. It can serve us with the same life. It doesn't demand we produce the same life. It comes to serve us with the same life, right? And I think the way we've, we've taught forgiveness is forgiveness is the right thing to do. And if you can do it, you'll have a good life. But if you don't do it, your life will be destroyed. 
And that's made forgiveness a heavy yoke in the body of Christ. And forgiveness is not, supposed, it's not meant to be something you perform or that you use your willpower to bring about. We're not supposed to be enslaved to trying to forgive. God doesn't come and sit next to us and say, well, if you'll just forgive, then all will be well for you. You're not supposed to be a slave to trying to forgive. Forgiveness is something that serves you. You don't perform forgiveness. You're not supposed to try to work up forgiveness inside of yourself. Forgiveness comes to do a work in you. And forgiveness is very much like the, the Sabbath. And not just in the sense of, of how Jesus described it, but in Jesus' day, the Sabbath became this thing where all the people thought they were supposed to perform the Sabbath. And they became slaves to the Sabbath, right? As if they were meant to work the Sabbath, work the Sabbath, right? But Jesus come and said something powerful when he was interpreting the Sabbath. He said, the man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Meaning you guys are busy thinking you're supposed to serve the Sabbath, but actually the Sabbath came to serve you with something. And I find in the modern day church, forgiveness has become very much like that Sabbath. We think that we've been made for forgiveness instead of forgiveness being made for us. We're not supposed to be serving forgiveness. Forgiveness is meant to be serving us. Right? Does that make sense? This might sound funny based on our traditions, but a lot of things I say sound funny. I know everybody funny. Now you're funny too. You heard that George Thorogood song? <laughs> Think he gets kicked out of his apartment or something. He's going from door to door to all his friends. And he goes to his one friend's door and he knocks on the door and asks if he could stay there. And the guy's like, I don't know. Let me ask my wife. And the guy comes back and tells him, well, man, I don't think it's going to work out. My wife, you know, she's kind of funny. <laughs> and he says, I know, everybody funny. <laughs> now you funny too. <laughs> Oh, glory to God. So this might sound funny to you based on our traditions, but forgiveness is not about trying to not be angry with the people who hurt you. That's not what it's about. I'm going to say that again. For people that like to take notes, little nuggets. Forgiveness is not about trying to not be angry with the people who hurt you. And if that's where you're at with forgiveness, no wonder you're not forgiving <laughs> because that ain't it. That ain't got nothing to do with it. And that will leave you laboring. It'll leave you more. You'll end up more angry with the people because you'll end up feeling like the people have put some heavy burden on you where you got to forgive them. And after all, look what they did. You'll end up being more angry with them. That's not what it's about. Jesus wasn't trying to not be angry with the people who were crucifying him. He wasn't sitting on the cross thinking, i got to try not to be angry so I can forgive them. That's not what he was doing. That's not what he was doing. You see what the Holy Spirit's doing? The Holy Spirit's trying to eliminate your view of forgiveness so he can set up his view. So you can start receiving. Receive ye forgiveness. Right? We can feel angry if we're offended. Absolutely. We can most certainly feel angry if we're offended. But forgiveness is primarily about not stumbling over the truth. It's about not stumbling over the truth. That's what forgiveness is primarily about. That's why when the truth is presented to you, it, it, it works forgiveness in you. That's why if you could see the faith that was in Jesus' heart, it will produce forgiveness in you. 
right? Because the reason why unforgiveness comes is because your judgments about what's happened, your judgments about the people in whatever situation you're dealing with, it's not the truth. And that's what unforgiveness is born from, right? And so one of the meanings of offense in the scriptures is to stumble or err from the truth. So if you're offended with somebody, if you find animosity or unforgiveness dwelling in your heart, man, God doesn't despise you. He understands how that kind of thing can happen. Do you know you've actually been created to love life? You've been created to love life. And so it, it makes a lot of sense to God that in the day somebody come and done something to you that like destroyed life, that that could be a problem. It makes a lot of sense to him that you could feel that way. It makes a lot of sense to him that you could be like, what? And depending on how deeply you feel the feels, I feel the feels, right? When somebody got in the way of life when I was a kid, that meant they were worthy to be consumed. And they were now going to receive the wrath of Greg, which was, I promise you, much greater than the wrath of Colin. So forgiveness in the scriptures you can be angry and mad. That would be the fruit of stumbling at the truth or being offended. So it isn't just to be mad. It's to stumble at the truth concerning something. It means your view of what's happened, your judgment about what's happened and what it means. It means your judgment hasn't come from above. It means you're seeing it through the world's view. You're seeing it through the natural eyes. And because of that, you're filled with unforgiveness or you're offended right you guys fall on that so far so what happens when we encounter hurtful situations some of you encountered hurtful situations on the way to church today becky and i used to laugh about this but the, the people who ordained us god bless those people man those people dealt with so much but they had so much pressure on them both of them that you know sometimes you could see them arguing on the way to church in the car and they would get out of church arguing, you know, with each other about how things were going. And they, they both had these powerful gifts from God, but both of their gifts from God were kind of different. So they, you know, kind of had this static with each other, right? You see them get out of the, I remember thinking, how does he get up there and preach like that right after they were just fighting over there? So, I mean, we, can, we encounter so many hurtful situations. But what happens when we encounter hurtful situations? I just want God to come and discern all of our hearts so we could start understanding ourselves. Because I promise you, most people, when they feel hurt, they don't even understand why they feel hurt. And if you don't understand why you feel hurt, you have no clue about what, what's really going on there. How can you even judge a situation right if you don't even know why you feel hurt? You just know you feel hurt. You know it's not right that you feel hurt. And now somebody's got to pay. There's someone responsible for the hurt I feel. Right? But we never stop to understand ourselves. Where does the hurt come from? Why do I feel so hurt by what they've done? Why do I feel so much pain because of what they've done? So what happens when we encounter hurtful situations is we are being tempted to stumble at the truth concerning ourselves concerning God, concerning our ability to have life, and also concerning the hearts of the people that have trespassed us. So I'm going to say that again so you can start to understand what's happening to you. It's like a blitz. You guys ever watch football? Well, you normally have like a four-man rush. 
right? But it, if you want to get to the quarterback quicker, right, you, you bring people to the line and then you blitz, right? So when we're feeling hurt, it's like a blitz. We're being tempted in all sorts of ways to stumble at the truth, any one of which will cause our lives to be shaped by pain, anger, lack, hurt, right? But we're being tempted when we encounter hurtful situations. We're being tempted to stumble at the truth about ourselves, about God, about our ability to have life, and also about the people who are the ones trespassing against us. We be, if we believe a lie about any of those things, when we encounter hurtful situations, that lie that we believe becomes like a seed that gets planted in the soil of our heart and it starts producing things, right? Does anybody think that good can come from believing a lie? Okay, right? Doesn't mean you're evil. We've all believed lies, right? Because we've been taught things that weren't true. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so listen, guys, I've, I've, I've found this about my own life, but we make so many judgments about ourselves and others and what we need to partake of life. Like every one of you guys in here has already decided what you need to have a good life. You've already decided. We make so many judgments about our lives and about others and about what we need to have life without ever stopping to hear the voice of God, without ever stopping to hear God say, who told you, right? We run down the road with so many judgments about things that happen in our lives without even considering if God's the one who's telling us these things, right? There's no shame in that. But like if, when you're busy feeling all these things, if you could just imagine God sitting next to you and just hear God saying, am I the one that told you all this? Most of what you believe would be immediately sent away because you think it sounds ridiculous coming from God. Like, how many of us think we've been kept from some good thing we need to have life? How many of us think something happened to our lives that could steal from us? How many of us think that? All of us. Guess who's never come and told us that? God. I promise you this. God could come and lament with you. God could come and embrace you. He can grieve with you over something happened that isn't born from above. But God will never sit next to you and tell you that what's happened can steal life from you. You won't. I thought people would be much happier about this kind of a thing. <laughs> Luke 23, 34 says, Then said Jesus, and this will be the primary text we'll work from. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment, his clothing, and cast lots meaning they draw straws for who's going to get his clothes, right? But the key part we're focusing on there is Jesus, as he's being crucified, as he's stripped. I mean, has everybody in here seen the passion? Okay, so we got a good imagery of what happened to this dude. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, this was always very confounding for me. Because I was always amazed that Jesus wasn't offended with the people who flogged him and crucified him. You know what I'm saying? Because I find myself getting angry with people that don't drive right. I mean, people don't use their blinker. Or people, there's that, that 
on gauze, when you're going up gauze and you're, you're coming to the I-10 and you're turning a left on the I-10 as you pass the outback, you know, you have to wait in that, that light. Well, the people that come from the other way, the ones that can't make it through, still go and they block the whole turning lane. And I might be trying to get to Gary and Shelley's for a lovely dinner that they're going to be making for me. But I can't get through the light because every time it comes, they block the lane. I mean, I've, I've, I find it hard not to be offended with those people before. And so I thought, how is it that Jesus isn't offended with these people that are flogging him and crucifying him? How did he forgive people nailing him to a cross? I mean, my body can just start imagining the pain and all the different things I could think about. Look at what they're doing to me. Look at how they're stealing from me. Look at how they're in the way of me having life. Look at how they're in the way of everything that I need to have life and godliness. I could find myself thinking that, but how is it that Jesus sits there and he's able to forgive people nailing them to a cross? And I know enough about God and the scriptures where Jesus come and said, when the rich young ruler told Jesus, good master, as if there was something good about Jesus because of his works, Jesus come and said, there's one who's good you know what it means when he says there's one who's good god jesus is saying every good thing you see coming out of me isn't coming by my own willpower my own ability it's coming from god himself having given birth to it inside of me so i knew enough about jesus forgiving the people nailing him to a cross i knew enough about him not being offended with those people that it wasn't his willpower he didn't do it because it was the right thing to do he didn't read it on the wall up in heaven thou shalt forgive and so he did it that's not why he did it there was something working in him that sent the people's sin, that sent the sin people were committing against him away from him and away from them. There was something in him that caused him to see what was happening in a certain way. And the way he saw what was happening to him sent the people's trespasses away from them and it sent it away from him. So his heart wasn't offended with them. He didn't stumble at the truth about himself, about them, about God, or about his ability to have life. He made a righteous judgment about an unrighteous thing, and it still resulted in liberty. It says the truth shall make you free. So you know what that means? You could even look at something that ain't nice, and if you see the truth about the thing that's not nice, you'll still be free. <laughs> you see? And so there's Jesus on the cross, and he's seeing everything a certain way. He wasn't trying to work a principle. He didn't go to church, synagogue and hear, well, if I can forgive, then I can have a righteous life. No. He had something in his heart that impacted what he discerned about what was happening. Okay, and that's what we want to look at. So Jesus discerned something about the hurt that he felt. Right? He made a judgment about, what, what is it I'm feeling here in this moment? And that, see, I, I, I touched on how we don't understand why we even feel hurt. We just know we feel hurt. And then because we don't understand what's really going on, we just jump to a simple conclusion. Well, I feel hurt because they did something they shouldn't have done. Right? But that's not really why we feel hurt. And, and see, Jesus had that dwelling in him. He understood what he was actually feeling. Right? He understood. He discerned his own heart. And he made a righteous judgment. Right? See, Jesus didn't blame the people who were crucifying him for the hurt he felt. He didn't blame them. Do you know what all of us have been taught to do? To blame the people who are causing or who are involved in the hurt we feel. Isn't it? Can we just be honest? I mean, that's how we feel, isn't it? We've been taught to blame people for the hurt we feel. 
Well, Jesus didn't blame the people for the hurt he felt, yet he still felt hurt. You see, it's not that he didn't feel hurt. It's not that this wasn't right. It's not that this wasn't born from above. It's not that something wasn't trying to assault his life and assault his character and assault his name. It wasn't that something was trying to defame him. It wasn't that there was nothing trying to tear him down. But Jesus discerned what was happening there. He discerned what he felt, and he got to the root of what he was actually feeling and what the hurt actually was that he was feeling, and he didn't blame the people for the hurt that he felt. You know what he discerned was the real problem? That death was trying to sting his heart with lack. He started discerning that's what's really going on here. I'm a being that was created to have life. And he wasn't created, but he's a human. So speaking as the son of man, he's before that which was ever was. But he understands the desire for life, right? And he sees what's happening there. And he understands that the real hurt that he feels isn't just a physical hurt. It isn't just a physical pain he felt in his body, right? The real problem would be that that physical pain could now come and shape his heart. That would be the real pain. And so he come and discern the reason why this hurts so bad is because death is trying to sting my heart with lack. It, it wasn't what the people said or did to him that hurt so bad. And I just want to encourage you with that. It isn't what the people have said or done to you that is the problem with the hurt. That's not why it hurts so bad. It's what's going on is that that feeling of hurt that you have, it's trying to tell you that you're separated from some good thing you need to experience life. That's why it hurts so bad. You think what they've said and what they've done are now stealing from you the ability to have life. You think what they've said or what they've done are now a stumbling block to you having the life that is right. You think what they've said or what they've done can now get in the way of you having some good thing that you need. Well, Jesus discerned that's what's going on. And that's trying to move against my heart, right? That's the real issue here. All these things are setting themselves up as a roadblock, as a stumbling block. All these things are trying to tell me that what's happening to me is in the way of me having what I need for life. All these things that are happening to me are in the way of me having some good thing that I need. That's what he discerned is going on. That's the duress he feels in his heart. The sorrow, it says he's sorrowful even unto death. Do you know when you're sorrowful unto death? It's when you think you got no opportunity to have life. <laughs> you think everything that you need to have life has been far removed from you, and the only thing that's present is everything that destroys life. So Jesus discerned. All the reason this hurts so bad is because this death is trying to war against my heart. These trespasses are trying to war against my heart and convince me that they're in the way of me having life. They're in the way of me having the good name. They're in the way of me having a good reputation. They're in the way of me having peace and love and joy. They're in the way of me being able to enjoy my life. They're in the way of me being accepted by the children of Israel. I mean, you know, Jesus came to save Israel. You can even read in Isaiah where he's lamenting with the Father. And he's talking about the Father. And he, he says, I emptied myself. I labored. And I emptied all of my strength. And it was in vain, Lord. Meaning they rejected him. And so all those thoughts were trying to come against Jesus. They're not just as a man like us. 
not just as a human, but as Messiah. You think all those things weren't trying to tell him he failed as Messiah? The people that he came to minister to were now rejecting him to the point of nailing him to a cross? You think the hurt was just physical? It wasn't. It was trying to war against his heart, and it was trying to convince him that the death of this cross stood in the way of every good thing that he needed to bring about life, to have life, to experience life. I mean, why does it bother us, guys? Think about it. Why does it bother us when someone does something hurtful to us? Just try and get philosophical with me for a second. Try and go a little bit deeper than just the hurt that you feel, right? Why aren't we indifferent when someone does something to us? Why aren't we just like, I don't care? Did someone teach you you should feel hurt? Did you ever go to a classroom where they taught you? Well, when somebody comes and takes your toy in the sandbox, you should be very upset. Did someone have to teach you that when you get hit across the face, that you should be angry? I don't remember going to a class like that. I just remember feeling it. So why is it, guys, that we feel so bothered when someone does something hurtful to us or when someone does something hurtful to us when they say or do something hurtful to us because if you could start understanding what it is that is bringing you the pain you'll start understanding where to go to find healing you'll start understanding where to look for your heart to be kept from offense you'll start understanding where to look to find the trespasses that are committed against you sent away from you and you'll start finding something working inside of you where the trespasses people commit against you are also sent away from you right so I, I think about these things with God. Why does it bother us? Why is it just not? Who cares? I'm thinking of when I was a lifeguard. You know, when I was a lifeguard, you got to save people that are drowning. You think people that are drowning are nice to you? I mean, they hit you in the face. They try and drown you. You get a broken nose, a bloody eye. All those kinds of things. Well, what is it that's going on in them? The reason we feel bothered when people do something to us, when they say or do something hurtful to us, the reason it bothers us is because we think it's a stumbling block to life. I just ministered something similar to this in Myrtle Beach. And you know, at the end, you know what the guy just came out with? I realize how angry I am with my wife because I think she doesn't respect me. And you know what I said to him? Well, what do you think you could gain if she did respect you? And can her not respecting you, can that get in the way of God respecting you? Can her not respecting you keep you from the life of God? Is it possible you're trying to get something from your wife respecting you, from the people around you respecting you? Is it possible you're trying to get something from the people around you never doing wrong, never doing something to hurt you, that you can only get in God himself? And the reason why it hurts so bad is because you think what they're doing can keep you from the life you know is right? Because we all know it's right to have life. And the moment someone comes and says and does something hurtful to us, we're being confronted in our hearts with a word, with a lie, that's telling us this is in the way of us having the life we should have. And then we're feeling like we're nailed to a cross. 
We think they can steal life from us. That's why it hurts so bad. And we actually think they are stealing it from us. You see that? So in the midst of the, I mean, can we admit it's a great offense they were committing against Jesus? I mean, think about this dude. Did he hurt anybody? I mean, this dude came healing everybody, loving everybody, praying for everybody. They nailed him to a tree. And so in the midst of this great offense people committed against Jesus, you know what? He recognized the hurt that I feel is that these things are trying to tell me I'm separated from life. They're trying to tell me I'm separated from the love of God. They're trying to tell me I'm separated from what I need. They're trying to tell me that this can steal from me. They're trying to tell me that this can keep me from some good thing. And in the midst of all that, you know what Jesus saw? Everything I need is in the Father, not in the way people treat me. He saw real quickly. Actually, people treating me the right way can never give me what I need anyway. You can get everybody in the world to respect you. That can't satisfy your desire for respect. And so there's Jesus. He's desiring life. He's wanting life. He's seeing these things that are not consistent with life. He's feeling the hurt in his body. And he's, he's feeling the thoughts coming to him, trying to tell him these things are a stumbling block to having life. But all of a sudden, he discerns everything properly. He sees the real problem is I'm wanting life, and these things are trying to tell me they're in the way of having life. But these things can never be in the way of Father, and Father is right here. And so now he starts to find his desire for life satisfied in the Father. And in the Father, he sees that neither the things people do or say to me can keep me from the life I need. I desire to be justified. I desire for my name to be revealed, to be good and true. I desire to be revealed, not to be a liar. All those things are satisfied in Father, not in these people. Jesus believed. That means he was persuaded. It wasn't an intellectual thing that you're going to go off and manipulate yourself into doing. It's an intimacy you engage with in the Father, where you start, well, what about this, Daddy? Jesus believed Nothing the people were doing to him could separate him from the Father's love. Nothing. Paul would come and give utterance to that same thing in Romans 8, where he says, neither shipwreck, nor their peril, nor their sword, nor their famine, neither any horrible thing flogged 40 times twice. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Do you know what he's saying? None of those things can keep me from the life I need. None of those things can keep me from the life I desire. Well, when people do things hurtful to us, when people say things that aren't right, they're not right. And it isn't right what they did. But just because it isn't right doesn't mean they can keep us from life. They can't. They can't. And I promise you, the world has taught us that they can. And I promise you, all of us have looked at people that have done things to us and have determined that that kept us from life. And I promise you, do you know what that plants inside of you? It's called unforgiveness. You know, unforgiveness is the fruit of, that comes forth in somebody when they believe they have to swoop in and protect their own life. That's what offense is. Jesus saw not even the cross could keep him from the comfort and the peace and the love and the joy in the Father's hands. Because this cross cannot keep the Father's hand from stretching forth towards me and resting on my head. Nothing. That's why in the Psalm 23, Jesus would say he lacked nothing. 
It wasn't because what was happening wasn't horrible. It wasn't because it wasn't right. But in the place of the cross trying to tell Jesus he lacked everything, the Father was all of a sudden lifted up in his sight. That's called the intercession of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit intercedes in our hearts with words that aren't uttered. The Holy Spirit comes to us in the place where the world is telling us, look what they did to you, look what they said to you, look how it's stealing from you, look how it's keeping you from some good thing you need. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows us Father. And the Father becomes lifted up in our sight. The life the Father has in himself becomes lifted up in our sight. And we start to see and we start to be persuaded that nothing anyone can say or do to us can keep us from the life that we need. There's Jesus on the cross and he saw the Father was his sheepfold. Sheepfold means to be hedged about with something where nothing can get in or get out to hurt you. He saw the Father's life was the door of the sheepfold. And he saw there was no thieves or robbers that could climb up into the sheepfold to steal his life. And he saw there was no other way for anybody to get into the sheepfold but through the door. They couldn't come up a back alley kind of a way. And he saw that the father's life, that's the rod and the staff that Jesus in Psalm 23 says, comfort me. He saw the father's life was the door that was protecting his life and that no thieves or robbers could actually come and be a stumbling block to him inheriting the kingdom. Nothing can. I promise you, when people hurt you, when you feel hurt by what someone says or does, let discernment start working in your heart. Start asking yourself, what is it that I think this can do to me? What is it that I think this can steal from me? The guy who said his wife didn't respect him and he just realized all of a sudden that he'd been offended with his wife for years because she wasn't giving him the respect he deserved. All of a sudden he realized He was looking for life from respect. And all of a sudden he realized, well, whether my wife respects me or not, sure, it's nice if your wife respects you. This isn't about whether or not they do what's right. This is about your heart being kept from offense. This is about unforgiveness not being planted in your heart. He realized whether my wife respects me or not, that's not the giver or taker away of what I need. Everything I need is in Abba. So if my wife respects me, glory to God. But if my wife doesn't respect me, God's still God. We talk about all the time, God's still on the throne. But I promise you, we live in our personal relationships as if he's not. As if what these people have done has unseated God. I'm just putting words to what actually goes on in all of our hearts. Because that's why you get so bent. You want to know why Jesus wasn't bent? How many of you think what happened to Jesus isn't as bad as what's happened to you? Let's just say it's equal. Do you know why he wasn't offended? Do you know why he was able to forgive them? Well, the first thing is, is he didn't think what they were doing could keep him from life. They can't steal life from me. This cross cannot steal life from me. These people rejecting me and nailing me to a tree can't keep me from what I need. Right? It's hard to be offended with someone if you don't see what they're doing as being able to steal from you. If you don't think you can steal from you, you don't care. It's hard to be offended if you don't see what they're doing as being able to keep you from some good thing you need to experience life. Which will take me to to the next important point. Because if you don't judge what they're doing to be able to steal from you, 
if you don't judge what they're doing to be able to keep you from some good thing you need to experience life, do you know what will then happen inside of you? Since you're not thinking of your own self and your own life, which is what's happening when we're being hurt, we're thinking of our own life and how our lives need to be cared for and how we're thinking they're not being cared for. Do you know what happens the moment you're not thinking about your own life and the care you need? You start to be able to see the other people clearly. And you start to be able to understand what's going on in their heart clearly. You start having discernment, right? I promise you guys, this sounds so shocking, and it is because it's foolishness to the natural mind. Jesus was not worried about the care of his life when he was on the cross. He was not thinking to take thought of his own life. Do you know why? He was thinking the Father has taken thought to care for his life. And now he was caught up with the Father since this is the guy who's promised to care for me. And because his mind wasn't filled with trying to care for his own life, he was set free to be able to discern the people's lives that were trespassing against him. And he was able to see deeply into their heart. And he was able to make a righteous judgment about what was going on in their heart instead of an unrighteous judgment. He didn't judge what was in their heart based on what was coming out of their flesh. He looked into their heart and he was able to see what was really going on. Right? Because he saw nothing can separate me from the Father caring for my life. Nothing can keep the Father from clothing me in immortality. Nothing can keep the Father from comforting me. It gave him eyes to see what was happening in the hearts of the people crucifying him. It's called a sound mind. It's called a sound mind in the scriptures. Well, I just want to tell you, you can't think clearly and you don't have a sound mind if you're carrying the burden of caring for your own life or anyone else's. You can't discern what's happening in other people's hearts if you're filled with lack. In fact, in order to be able to discern what's going on in people's hearts, you would first have to have the lack you feel plucked out. Otherwise, every judgment you make about other people that's born from you thinking you lack what you need for life, it's an unrighteous judgment. And I don't mean you're unrighteous. What I mean is it didn't come from God. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. This is Paul talking. You guys know Paul was the chief of all sinners, right? He murdered Christians. He did horrible. That's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, there's a good reason to be offended with that dude, isn't there? I mean, how many of you think he didn't know that he was murdering Christians? I mean, he knew he was murdering Christians. Listen to what Paul says about his heinous behavior. And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer a and a persecutor and injurious. Injurious means you injuring a whole lot of people. You causing great suffering on people and not just any people, the people of God. He says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Unbelief was the father of what was coming out of me. That's why God didn't count it against me. How many of you think the people who have hurt you 
or who are actively hurting you. Some of you are being actively hurt right now. How many of you think they're doing it ignorantly? Or how many of you decided they know exactly what they're doing? How many of you think it's unbelief that's producing this out of them, that's harming you? Or how many of you think it's them? I want to take you back to what Jesus said on the cross. What does he say? They know not what they do. He says they don't know what they're doing. He's saying they're doing it ignorantly in unbelief. And that's the reason why Jesus didn't impute their sin to them. And I don't even want to say like it wasn't an intellectual thing. It's why his heart didn't impute their sin to them. Because I promise you, your heart is acting before you even have time to think about it. Your heart is either imputing sin to people or it's sending sin away from people. And it's all based on the eyesight you have or the faith that dwells in your heart and how you're viewing it when someone commits a trespass against you. It's all based on that. And so the reason Jesus' heart didn't impute sin to them and the reason why he didn't impute their sin to himself is because he saw what they did was out of ignorance. And ignorance means unbelief is what produced it. He saw the people crucifying him were enslaved by their lust for life. That's what unbelief is. Unbelief is to not see God is with you to give you the life you need. And because you don't see God with you to be the father of your life, because you don't see God there to care for your life, that's what it means to be an unbelief. And because you don't see God there to care for your life, you're filled with the lust to care for your own life. And so Jesus saw these guys are in unbelief. And so everything that's coming out of them is coming out of them ignorantly because of unbelief dwelling in them. He saw they were blinded by death and that they were taken captive by the bite of the serpent. He saw these people who were crucifying me are actually trying to clothe their own nakedness. These people who are crucifying me, this is the funniest thing. He actually saw these people who are crucifying me, the reason why this hatred and this envy and this gossip and this murder is coming out of them is because the world has first come and crucified them. He saw them as being nailed to a tree. In fact, he saw for this cause I've come into the earth, Lord, that this nailing of the tree that's happening to me, it's the same nailing of the tree that's happening to them. And it's the very reason why all this fruit of death is coming out of them towards me. These people, it's not that they're trying to murder me. It's that these people are trying to come down off the cross. It's not that these people are trying to uncover my nakedness. It's that these people are trying to clothe upon their own nakedness. And he knows exactly what that feels like. He wanted to be clothed. He wanted to be healed from the cross. And so he discerned their hearts spiritually. And that came with the righteous judgment. How many of you find fault with somebody for trying to come down off a cross? How many of you would condemn somebody for trying to come down off of a cross? How many of you would condemn somebody for wanting to clothe their nakedness? Heck, we feel so uncomfortable by a naked person running down the street, we might go try and offer them a robe. What do you think it does for what you view about what somebody's done to you if you saw in their heart and you saw in their heart they were being nailed to a tree by the world? What do you think it would do for you and what you think about the people that hurt your life if when you saw into their heart, you didn't see what they did to you, but you saw in their heart, they were just trying to cover their own nakedness. And that's the judgment you made about what was in their heart. If someone tries to come down off the tree, and make no mistake about it, guys, every time we encounter torment, every time we encounter lack in this world, it's a figurative picture of us being nailed to a cross. 
And we're being tempted to try to come down. And if we try to come down off the cross ourselves, if we try to heal our own selves from the torment and the, own, and the lack we feel, I promise you what's coming out of us is hurtful, hateful things towards other people. Jesus himself, do you know what would have happened if he would have tried to come down off the cross himself? Do you know what would have happened if Jesus would have tried to clothe himself? That would have resulted in all those people being killed. Because that's what it would have took for him to stay down off the cross. The, the intent in his heart would have just been to be saved from the cross, and it would have just been for his nakedness to be covered upon. But if he would have taken that up into his own hands, the result would have been him now being filled with hatred and envy and gossiping and murder and backbiting. That's what he saw about these guys. They're being nailed to a tree, and they're trying to come down off the cross. And because they're trying to come down off the cross, because they're living their whole lives trying to clothe themselves like the first man, Adam, all this stuff is coming out of them ignorantly because of unbelief. That's why he didn't keep pointing to their account. That's why he didn't, his heart didn't keep a record of the wrong that was being committed against him. That's why he didn't do it. You know, there's even something in the Bible called the sins of ignorance. Did you know that? And it's actually contrasted with the willful sins. You have the sins of ignorance and the, the willful sin. You know, the willful sin is unbelief, whereby you see God and you reject God. You see God is there to be your father. You see he's there to give your life the care that it needs, and you reject God. It's called the willful sin. Well, you know what a sin of ignorance is? Murder, gossiping, backbiting. All those things are called sins of ignorance. Do you know why they're called sins of ignorance? Because they're the works of the flesh. They're what happens when a person tries to clothe upon their own flesh with life. If you're trying to serve yourself with life, even something you call good, if you're trying to gather comfort to yourself, do you know what's going to happen? The person living in the house with you is now going to be destroyed. But all you wanted was comfort for yourself. But if you try to comfort yourself, do you know what it comes at? The demise of another person. Cain didn't want to murder Abel. Cain wanted to be exalted like Abel. Is it evil to want to be exalted? No. But because Cain tried to exalt himself, what was the fruit that came out of that? Murder. The murder is the sin of ignorance. The willful sin is when God brought Cain a lamb and said, look, Cain, take the sacrifice, take the sin offering and master it. If you don't offer this sin offering just like Abel, will you not also be ex exalted? That was the willful sin. He rejected the lamb God brought to him. The sin of ignorance is the fruit that came out after he rejected the lamb. That's him trying to clothe himself with life. And out of that came him murdering Abel. Husbands and wives, if you're living in a house together, if either one of you is trying to find comfort for yourself, you will be destroying each other. Because you trying to gather comfort to yourself will come at the hands of the other person's life. That's how Jesus saw it. These people want to be comforted. And because they're trying to comfort themselves, because they're filled with unbelief, not knowing the Father's here to comfort them, what's happening is murder is coming out of them. That's how he saw it. And we'll finish with this. And you guys have been very patient. And I guess we probably will we'll pick this up again next week. But we take unrighteous judgments into ourselves. 
when we think the people who are hurting us know what they're doing. It's like we think they intend to hurt us. Like they got over there in the corner and drew out a play on the blackboard like they do at halftime of a football game. And the play they've drawn up is inconsiderate of us. They can't see you, man. They're not even considering you. A person who thinks their life is under duress is not able to see anybody else's life. They're not thinking of you. They're blind to you even being there. All they can think about is themselves and their own desire for life and that they don't think they have what they need to have life. And because they don't see God with them to satisfy their desire for life, all they can think of is trying to get life for themselves. Well, that makes you collateral damage. You can't even see another person unless you think your desire for life has been satisfied. Because all of your thoughts will be about what you need, what you need, what you need, what you need, what you need. That's why we say little children are selfish, right? Because someone will take a toy that they see. It ain't because they got some sin nature. They haven't learned to discern their own heart yet. And I just hate to break it. So all of us are like little children who never learn to discern our own heart. They see one child has a toy, and you know what they immediately see? I don't have a toy like that. And do you know what it tries to tell them? You don't have something you need for life. That's why they try to take it. That's why they throw a fit. These people that we think see us and know what they're doing, Jesus says they do it ignorantly because of unbelief. If you actually wanted to come and minister to somebody who has done something horrible to you or horrible to the people you love, if you were judging a righteous judgment, you would see it was because of unbelief. And do you know what you would come ministering to them? You would come ministering the Father. And you would come talking with uh, words of wisdom to express how you understand that they're trying to care for their life. And in them trying to care for their own life, all this fruit of death is coming out of them towards everyone else. And maybe they got a real hard heart. So you might even come with, you need to repent. But you don't come to somebody who's harmed you with words to benefit yourself. You come with words to benefit them because they're the ones in unbelief. i got to be honest, I don't really care if anybody ever tells me they're sorry. And I'm not saying there's no kind of a place where you could say that. I tell people I'm sorry all the time. I tell people I'm sorry for the reason that they could know what's in my heart. But I couldn't care less if anybody ever says sorry to me ever again. Do you know why? Because everything I need for life, is, I see, has been satisfied in God. So whether a person tells me sorry or not, they couldn't steal life from me anyway. <laughs> ah, glory to God. I hope you feel better. <laughs> Be free, man. I never imputed your sin to you. So it wasn't that they saw you. It wasn't what they saw in you that caused them to behave this way. It's not that they saw you and saw some fault or some lack in you. And because of what they saw in you, this is what they did. It's that they never saw you at all. All they ever saw was their own lack and their own need. And out of that, they're blindly trying to satisfy their own desire for life. We'll finish with the, the lifeguard example. Because this really fits. I was a lifeguard. This, this explains forgiveness perfectly and how the judgment you make in your heart about what happens to you will play a huge role in how you feel about what's happened to you. Because I was a lifeguard, and when you try to save people, they're not nice. You, you think it's easy intellectually to say, but don't they see I'm swimming towards them with like a, a raft, a, a life preserver? 
don't they judge that I'm coming to do good to them? That's what we think about the people that hurt us, right? Don't they see how good I've been to them? No, they're drowning. They don't see anything but themselves. When you come to save a drowning person, man, they'll elbow you in the nose. They'll break your nose. They'll try to drown you. They'll try to push you under. When you do the lifeguard test, they make you go save somebody that's three times your weight. And they tell those people to fight you tooth and nail every inch of the way because you have to be able to save someone that's trying to drown you. You know what's interesting about saving a person that's drowning? You could come out with a black eye, your nose twisted. You guys see my nose is a little twisted. How do you think that happened? You, you could lose a tooth. Your lip gets stuck in your tooth. All that kind of thing can happen to you. You know what was always so interesting, though? You were never upset with the person that hit you. Your nose is crooked for the rest of your life. You weren't good looking to begin with. How is anybody ever going to want to marry me? You can have all these thoughts, but you know what? You're never upset with the person. You never even have one thought about what type of an evil person they are. And look what they did to you. And how dare they do this? And why did they do this? You know why you never have that thought? Because you see, they did it ignorantly while they were struggling to try to preserve their own life. And we don't fault somebody for what they do when we think they're just trying to preserve their life. You know why? Because we all want our life to be preserved. And we all know what that's like. Well, I'm trying to suggest to you, the people that hurt you, they were drowning. They were drowning because they were blinded to the presence of God as Father. And in their drowning, and in their flopping around, and in all the things they're doing just to try not to die, they tried to push you under. And they hit you in the face. And they bloodied your lip, and they bloodied your nose. And they did it ignorantly, out of unbelief, trying to save themselves. You know, around the same time I was a lifeguard, I say this all the time, we're, we're all from here. We're from the murder cop of the world, and we're rowdy, rowdy. Like, I grew up rowdy. The same time I was a lifeguard, people hit me in the nose, bloody in my nose, breaking my nose, all that kind of thing, blackening my eye. Never upset, not one time for one iota with any of the people. Not once did I even have the thought come to me, well, they didn't have to do that. It's, a, it's an amazing dynamic. Like, that thought doesn't even come. And it's because of how you're viewing the situation in your heart. It keeps your heart from the thought even coming. That's what was going on in Jesus' heart when he was nailed to the cross. That's what he's come to give birth to in us so we could see our lives accurately like that. But around the same time, man, we're going to Mardi Gras all the time and we're rowdy. And you take a bunch of 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old men full of testosterone that are down at Mardi Gras drinking for a whole week, and do you know what's happening? We're fighting. And you know, it's the strangest thing because when somebody hits me in the face at Mardi Gras, I don't feel the same way about them as I do about the person who's drowning that hits me in the face. In fact, I find something in me where But it's the same blow. It's the same hit to the face. Why in one situation, I don't care. But in this situation, not there. You see, because they know what they're doing. They didn't do that ignorantly. 
They came and tacked me. I mean, you get hit from behind, bam, whopped around the face with the T-bar. Well, your heart says they know what they're doing. <laughs> and now they got to pay. Something else with the lifeguard situation, when you're an expert swimmer, those people might do all those things to you. You know, there was never one single time where I thought my life was in danger because of what they were doing to me. Because I was such an expert swimmer that even should 10 people try to drag me under, I'm, st I'm coming out still, right? I mean, I can hold my breath for minutes, long minutes. I could swim miles. I mean, I could go to Crossgate today. I'm completely out of shape, and I could probably swim two miles today. And so I never thought my life was in, da in danger no matter what they were doing to me. I never thought my life was suffering harm, right? But the second somebody hits me from behind, Do you see how it's just the view in your heart about how you're viewing what happened there? And so Jesus come into the earth as the faith of God to give us his eyes so we could see life through his lens because he understands the world is nailing us to a cross and many people are going to commit trespasses against us, right? And he understands the effect that can have on our hearts and how it could shape our lives with bitterness and pain and anger and lack. And he wants us, he wants our hearts to be kept from that kind of a thing because he sees it's not a nice life, right? So what he does is, is he comes into the earth and he, he stands in the face of all of the same things so that we could see in his heart and see how he viewed the same things we encounter. And through that, we could start seeing the offenses and the trespasses that happen against us through his eyes. Because what will happen is it will keep our hearts from the offense. It will work forgiveness inside of us. It will send the things they've done against us away from us. And it will send the things they've done away from them. And what do you, you might think, well, what do you mean it will send the things they've done away from us? Like I already said, the reason why it bothers us that they've done this to us is because we think it can steal life from us. Well, the moment we see that nothing can steal life from us, it sends that kind of a thought away from us. You no longer look at what they did as if it could steal from you. And that's how it sends their trespasses away from you. That's how trespasses come to destroy your life. It tries to convince you that someone's stolen some good thing you need. And when you see nothing can separate me from what I need, it sends that hurtful thing away from you. And it sends it away from them. Right? Does that make sense? You guys follow that? Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your life. Thank you for your faith, Lord. Thank you that you've given that we could live by your faith and not by our natural sight, Lord, that you haven't left us to, to judge things with our natural sight, but you come and give us your eyes through the faith of Jesus so that we could see things through your eyes and we could find your righteous judgments um, being planted in our hearts. Thank you, Father, that you work forgiveness in the hearts of everyone that hears this message, that you begin a conversation with people who have had their lives hurt, Lord, that have had horrible things happen to them, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you catch them up in a conversation where they begin to see you there with them, where they begin to see that uh, everything they needed was always with them in you, right? Thank you, Father. Amen. And I would I'd just leave you guys with this. Ask yourselves. Everybody's had somebody do something horrible to them. People who are supposed to love you the most, those are the ones that sting the most. Ask yourself. What do you think you could have gained if they didn't do that? And ask yourself what you think you've lost or what's been stolen from you because they did do it. And once you 
you go there, now try to hear the voice of God saying to you, everything you've always needed has always been here with me. Everything you've always needed has always been present with you. It's like the, the, the prodigal son, right? The older son, where he, he's so mad that the father wouldn't give him a calf. And the father comes and says, everything that is mine has always been yours. And so allow yourself, what is it that's been stolen from me? What did I lose? What could I have gained? And then hear the father saying to you, everything you've always needed has always been present with you in me. And start allowing him to unwrap the lack that these horrible things have tried to plant in your heart. Glory to God. Thank you guys so much for sitting for so long. You guys are a blessing. Thank you. Hallelujah. Really, I preach this so people will forgive me for all my bad behavior. No, I'm joking.